Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co-host, Connor Hope. Connor, another crazy week full of upsets. We had our first uh, real heavyweight battle this week. It, it felt like it's Seton Hall and Butler uh, over in the Big East. Seton Hall overcame a double-digit halftime deficit uh, to beat Butler on the road. And now Seton Hall, a, a team that you and me kind of rode off earlier on in the season after that six and four start looking like a, a potential top 10 team and, and a team like we thought they might be in the preseason when I had them picked in the final four. Thank you very much. Um, with this one over Butler, how, how do you digest that? Is, is Seton Hall now the best team in the big East or, or how do you look at that? Um, yeah. I mean, I think the thing with, and we've mentioned this on previous podcasts about Seton Hall is unlike other teams where you lose a star player and they might struggle or, you know, their star player doesn't perform and they might struggle. I actually think that the temporary loss of Miles Powell um, helped them. It helped the guys behind him figure out how to play together. Um, And then once you added him back into that lineup, uh, you know, it, they, they're a top 10 team. I, I don't think that, Right now, you can say that they're not because outside of the top six or seven, no one's kind of been as consistent, um, mm-hmm. you know, over the it, past it couple a, of weeks. It was a huge turning point for them when, when Powell went out. That first game they played um, without him and Mount Skillish-Feely was at home. What's up, buddy? <laughs> was at home against Maryland uh, at the time of Maryland was top 10, maybe around fifth in the country. Um, Seton Hall beat them without their two best players. And they haven't lost since then. And of course, this came right on the heels of when they lost to Rutgers by 20, even though it felt like they lost that game by 40. Um, and in that game, we saw Romero Gill step up. We saw Quincy Big Knight step up. We saw these guys who had been waiting on stepping up and getting big production from we were waiting on them to, to step up and play like that. And it took Powell being out, Mount Skinnishvili being out for them to play at that level. And, and as you mentioned, Powell has kind of come back into it. And while he's taken back over as the lead dog, the guy who gets you know all the shots whenever he wants to really, the level of play around him hasn't dropped off. And we're, we're seeing a real team effort from them. And we're seeing them play up to their full potential. Yeah, and and if you kind of look at what uh, Seton Hall has done since their back-to-back losses at Iowa State, which isn't an easy pace, place to play, and at Rutgers, which, you know, obviously Rutgers has come on. A lot of people have them in their top 25s. They're looking like a tournament team right now. Um, since then, they beat Maryland, and that was without uh, Miles Powell. They went it into DePaul, who's kind of tailed off, but they beat DePaul at DePaul. They beat Xavier at Xavier. Uh, they just beat Butler at Butler, and they beat a Marquette team with one of the best offensive players in the country and held that Marquette team to 55 points. They're so, rolling. So they, I mean, they're, and really the only quote-unquote bad team they've played um, since those two losses is Prairie View. And outside of that, they've, they've played Maryland and the Big East, uh, which is probably the second-best conference in the country behind the Big Ten. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they have a strong argument, um, definitely as the best team in the Big East and, and, and quite possibly as a, a safe top-ten team uh, next week. Well, that's the thing with them, too, is that Mount Skills really isn't even back yet. And so you get him back, and I don't know if things are going to be as seamless as they were with Powell entering in the fold, but they could still get significantly better in the next couple of weeks. And that, I think, uh, is something that the Big East doesn't necessarily want to see, considering they've already beaten all the other top contenders on the road, with the exception of Villanova, who they'll play here coming up in a couple of weeks. But let's let's shift over to the Big Ten, because that conference race, I think, has become the most intriguing in the country just because everybody seems to be on such a level level playing field with the exception of Nebraska and Northwestern. Uh, They're very clearly 13th and 14th, however you want to put them. But the other 12 teams 
all beat each other up depending on depending on who's home and who's on the road and realistically all 12 of them uh, including Minnesota um including Purdue I think have legitimate chances of making the NCAA tournament so when it, when you have a, a race like that where it's so wide open how do you how do you look at it at this point in conference play who do you uh, like Michigan State seems to be the favorite right but how do you, how do you break down that conference so far the thing about the Big Ten, which outside of Michigan State, which you could argue um, is a top 10 team, uh, and right now, or heading into today, I didn't have them in the top 10, but uh, with Baylor's loss and a couple of other uh, things here and there, they might slip in. Um, but in my top 25, I think I was telling you, I had six teams between uh, 10 and 25, or 11 and 25 that were Big Ten teams. I had three of my next five were Big Ten teams. And the, the two that I had outside of that were Purdue uh, and Minnesota and Penn State. And those ones even are probably in that 30 to 40 range. So mm-hmm. they, I mean, it's going to be one of those conferences um, where they just beat each other up. And unfortunately, that probably means un- unless uh, teams at the top of the other conferences lose more games um, and you get a team like Michigan state that goes into the tournament with seven losses, uh, and gets a one seed kind of similar to UNC, uh, in 2017. Um, they're, they're probably not going to be on the one line, but I could see quite a few of them between the two and five lines in the tournament, just because they, they're going to get good wins. Uh, there's not really a bad loss outside of Nebraska and Northwestern in the big 10. And they're all playing, really good basketball yeah and i i wrote in my ralph report over the weekend which is my weekly uh, takeaways from the week article uh, that goes up every sunday morning on bustingbrackets.com shameless plug um there's a legitimate chance that they get all 12 teams in which would break the record uh, the big east record of 11 teams that they got in the tournament in 2011 and i don't i don't know if it'll actually happen some things got to break right uh but if you look at it the the bottom two that are out right now are Minnesota and Purdue and Purdue picked up their huge win at home over Michigan state in their last game. Minnesota's got that win over Ohio state in their back pocket. Although it's, it's not the same as it felt like then uh, they've got some quality wins as well. And they, they got a win over Michigan too. Uh, there are plenty of more opportunities for teams like that and teams that are kind of in the bottom tier of that group of 12 to get the kind of wins that will carry them in a year that where there's going to be a weak bubble and a lot of teams that aren't going to have those quality wins. And we've seen in past years that the selection committee rewards teams based on, they want to see who you beat more than who you didn't lose to. Right. Kind of a deal. I think we've seen that the last couple of years, which certainly sets up well for, for the big 10. It, it could be a year where the conference champion ends up with like seven conference losses yeah. given their 20 game schedule. And it's, it's just going to be ridiculous. Well, yeah. And I mean, if you look at their record against teams that were ranked in the AP poll um, when they played them outside of Nebraska and Northwestern who haven't beaten a, an AP top 25 or a USA today, top 25 coaches poll team. Um, Maryland has won uh, win against a current ranked team, but they've only played a ranked team once. Illinois probably struggles the most. They're what, one in three against ranked teams. And then mm-hmm. every other Big Ten team has multiple ranked wins. Yeah, and those resumes are going to hold up. You're going to hear a lot about the Big 12, get, or Big Ten, excuse me, getting 12 or at least double-digit bids in the NCAA tournament. I think that's become a fact especially considering how down a lot of the other power conferences are. And Connor, one of the other conferences we thought was going to kind of step up and be a player for some of those bids was the Pac-12. And now I'm not so sure because I don't know how good Arizona is and I especially don't know how good Washington is now that Quade Green's not around. I, I will tell you this. Without Quade Green running the show um... – I don't think Washington is an NCAA tournament team. 
They haven't looked like it. I mean, they they lost to Cal. Um, and <laughs> and, and need to say. <laughs> and uh, I mean, granted, because of the way Cal's schedule is, Cal Cal right now is sitting at tied for third in the Pac-12. Um, I love some of these early season, like where these <laughs> random teams are, but yeah, I mean, right now the PAC 12 looks like Oregon, Colorado, Stanford are probably teams that I would say are safe bets to make the tournament. Stanford could fall out onto the bubble cause they don't really have the, the marquee wins that Oregon and Colorado have. Um, but I think that they're good enough to stay in the top four to five of the PAC 12, uh, over the course of the season. I think that gets them in the tournament. Outside of those three, my guess is that you've probably got USC, maybe Oregon State, Arizona, and you could argue maybe a Utah playing for one or two additional bids just because the the bottom of Washington has fallen out. Arizona mm-hmm. State has too many blowout losses to, to really make a, a uh, case um, yeah. and, and losses – to to teams that are probably on the outside looking in um as well like st mary's um so yeah i mean that 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 conference right now i i still think they get four bids at least um but i would not be shocked or surprised to any great extent if they only got three yeah i said six before the season started and Last week, even, I still felt comfortable with six. Um, but like you mentioned, now it's – I can't see them getting any more than five, but the number's probably going to settle in somewhere around four, which is going to open the door for those bottom – kind of bottom of that top group, Big Ten teams to get in. Um, I do think the Pac-12 is stronger at the top than it has been. I still like Oregon as my national championship pick. Um, I changed that off Florida a couple weeks ago here on the pod because Florida stinks and wasn't sticking (laughs) with that preseason pick. Um, But I think they can make a long run. Colorado has really impressed me over the past couple weeks, and it started with the win they got against Dayton. Um, And I think they're a potential second-weekend team. Their big thing is if they take care of the ball, they'll beat you. And if they don't, then they'll lose to anybody. Right. I, I, I think those two have legitimate potential. Arizona has legitimate potential as well, uh, just because of how good that freshman trio is. But we just haven't haven't seen it consistently. And I don't like. And there's the Sean Miller factor as well. I don't know how much I trust him in the NCAA tournament either. Um, but I think it could be another year we see the Pac-12 potentially send a team, even though they might not get a lot of bids, send a team to the Final Four. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I, I think those three teams definitely have a high ceiling. Um, it's just, it's not looking good, at least in the early run. And, and you know, I'm, I'm writing a uh, Pac-12 power rankings for next week, um, and I don't know how I'm going to rank them because once you get past Oregon, Colorado, and Stanford, it's, it's a huge mess until you get to Arizona State, UCLA, Washington. Like, it's just a mess in the middle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it'll be a fun conference to watch just because I think the Pac-12, rightfully so, has had the unfortunate reputation of being kind of the worst in terms of just ridiculous things happen during Pac-12 after dark. Um, yeah. But I, I'm not I, – I was at five uh, preseason, and I'm, I'm leaning more towards four now in terms of bids. Yeah. Uh, that that's fair. Uh, four bids may also be the amount the ACC gets. As good as the ACC normally is, uh, that entire conference has been pretty down this year. Right. We talked before the season about it being pretty down, but obviously the bottom has fallen out on North Carolina. They're 500. The bottom has fallen out on Virginia. They've lost three games in a row uh, and don't really have a notable win you can look to. NC State continues to be very NIT-esque. And there's nobody else that's that's stepped up. Duke's at the top, and I, I think even though they lost to Clemson, we still know kind of what they're capable of. I don't think anybody thinks they're world beaters. They're capable of losing to teams like Stephen F. Austin and Clemson. But 
we we kind of know what to expect from them. Florida State has really surged up and played pretty well. And then you got Louisville, who's good, not great. Uh, I think we can say at this point. Uh, you look at it, those three, I think, are locks. But outside of that, is Virginia a lock right now? Does Virginia Tech get a bid? Because uh, uh, those are the only five teams for me that are really in play in the ACC right now. Um, I don't think Virginia is a lock. And if you were to start the tournament today, they're probably on the outside looking in. Um, I agree, and it's weird to say. And and the only reason they'd get in is reputation and that win against North Carolina. Um, even though it's not good now, uh, it was still a win at the time against the top seven team. Uh, mm-hmm. which I know isn't supposed to factor in, but, you know, that would be the well, only... It was a Cole Anthony game, and yeah. UNC with Cole Anthony is different yeah. than UNC without Cole Anthony. Um, so I think I think it would be it'd be Virginia, Virginia Tech. Uh, the, the reason I think Virginia Tech gets in, or I'm leaning th- that they get in, is they have that win over Michigan State, mm-hmm. um, and their only loss, or the, the only two losses so far in conference have been to Duke and at Virginia. Um, but, you know, they have losses. They have their, and their only losses really are Duke, Duke, Virginia, and then Dayton, which is a top 10, top 15, not team, a bad loss. And BYU, which is another team that's probably on the bubble um, mm-hmm. one side or the other. So they have no bad losses um, and they have one really good win. And I think in a, in a year where everyone's losing, and basically people are just winning random good games, I think that that might get Virginia Tech in. Um, if they can get one more big win, if yeah. they can somehow, you know, beat a Louisville or Florida State, Duke, somebody like somebody like that, and beat Virginia at home, then I think you're looking at a team that has probably locked up a bit. Yeah. As long you know, as long as they those aren't the only two games they win the rest of the year. Yeah, <laughs> you know, which is which is insane to say considering where we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. Like they they're probably the biggest surprise in the country. Right. Because they were expected to finish at like last, dead last. <laughs> uh, everyone was like, "Oh, Mike Young's a good coach, but he's going to have a hard time, you know, getting things going this year." And you know, it just he he's found some magic. Landers Nolly has been incredible. And having somebody like that helps. Could you imagine if Kerry Blackshear would have stayed? Yeah, that 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 would be a good team. Although, who knows how they would be playing if Kerry Blackshear stayed? That's um, true. Because uh, Florida, he hasn't helped Florida that much. No, no. And, and, and Florida is a team we thought would be at the top of the SEC. We both picked them to win the national championship in the preseason, uh, and they have struggled. And their struggles have just sort of symbolized the sec as a whole this year they're probably they've probably been the worst um major conference so far outside of auburn obviously um their great start to the season kentucky had looked like had turned things around and then lost to that south carolina team that had also lost to stetson and boston university um yeah i don't don't really know what to make of of this race in the sec anymore because i don't think there's anybody that's super good. There's just Auburn who's consistent. Yeah, it's it's Auburn who's consistent. Kentucky, who has the talent to be good um, and is starting to put it together, although they, they did lose to South Carolina. Um, but outside of them, I mean, LSU – it has seemed like they've put it together. Um, but LSU has won 19 of their last 21 SEC games. Yep. Which is kind of incredible and something that doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think. But anyway. And and if you look at LSU, you know, their losses outside of the loss to ETSU um, are not terrible. They lost at... Mm-hmm. Uh, VCU, they lost against Utah State, which although they've taken a step back in terms of where we thought they would be, I still think that they're a a really good top 50 team. It is worth noting, too, in that game, 
that LSU had a 17-point lead in the second half. And they did blow it, um, but they were dominating that game for most of that game. Right. And then they lost to USC by two. Um, mm-hmm. And USC is a team that I actually think is probably pretty good. Um, they just haven't been able to prove it yet, uh, although they beat LSU. So so maybe if LSU becomes a tournament team, that's that's proving it. But right. the only thing I hesitate on is their four wins right now are Tennessee, um, which isn't a good team right now. Mm-hmm. Arkansas, which is a team that's kind of won games but hasn't played anybody to win those games. Right. Uh, Mississippi State, which isn't a good – which, well, Mississippi State's one of those teams where I'm not sure if they're good, really good, or really bad. Um, and then Texas A&M, which might be the worst power conference team in the country. So yep. – so, and they don't really play one of those top – let's call it top three teams or top two teams, the two other teams in the top three Mm -hmm. until February. Um, And then they play Auburn and Kentucky once a piece. So that's my thing with the SEC is that the teams that are kind of at the top, the Auburn's Arkansas LSU, we don't know if they're actually good or not because they haven't played anybody. Yep. And the way their SEC schedule set up, they're not going to get tested a lot by the, by the other, by each other or by the Kentuckys or even the, the Floridas. Um, the SEC has kind of messed up their scheduling a little bit, but not having these kind of matchups. And I think as a result, we have these teams that are going to come out of there with some lofty records with 20 plus wins, 23 wins. And we're not going to know if they're any good or not. <laughs> no. And like I mentioned with the big 10 um, and their wins against top 25 teams, the only SEC teams with wins against top 25 teams right now are Kentucky and Tennessee and South Carolina have two apiece. And then Florida and Georgia each have one. And every other team does not have a single top 25 win. Auburn and Arkansas have not played a single current team that was ranked in the top 25 when they played them. So crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it just like, but no one would say South Carolina is any good. Or, or at least a tournament team good right now. Yeah, um, well, uh, yeah, I, I think they can be good, but they can yeah. also be god-awful. And no one's looking at Tennessee right now and saying that they're a definitive no. tournament team. Um, Georgia's probably not a tournament team, maybe. Georgia's the one team that confuses me because I actually think Georgia's halfway decent. Um, yeah. and I think, I think for them it's a matter of – uh, if Anthony Edwards plays well, like like number one pick well, they're going to be there with everybody. Right. But if he only plays okay and doesn't attract attention away from the rest of their guys, then they're capable of getting you know blown out by anybody and getting smacked by Arizona State like they did. Yeah, I mean, they their first two losses were against Elite Eight caliber teams in Dayton and, Mich- and Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um, they Almost lost to Chaminade after that, too. Yeah. They uh they lost at Arizona State, which I think is probably it's 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 a okay loss leaning towards a bad loss, but it's not a terrible loss. And then they beat Memphis before starting with probably the toughest two game slate in the SEC, which mm-hmm. was a game against Kentucky and then a game at Auburn. Um, and then they came off those two losses and pounded Tennessee. So. Yeah, like you said, it's all about Anthony Edwards. Um, But they're a team that I think is kind of sneakily decent uh, simply because, you know, they're not wowing anybody with who they beat. And they're not, you know, they're not going to finish in the top five of the SEC probably. Well, they might. But um, for right now, I just think they're a team that's that had has the capabilities to be good. I'm just not sure that they're going to put it together this year. Right. Yeah, I, I, because of all that, I, I still, I classify them as the worst power conference, um, in the country. The Big Twelve is usually up there as being one of the best. This year, I don't know. I, I think Kansas is a good team, but I don't know how good Kansas is really. Um, 
Baylor, I think, is a clear-cut number one at this point, uh, given their win over Kansas and, and the win over Butler and some of the other wins they have. Uh, I think they very clearly have the best resume and are probably, the if the season were to end today, would be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if you look at it, uh, simply from just, just look at their, you know, stretch, they have wins over Villanova, which is still probably a top three team in a pretty strong big East, Mm -hmm. um, a win over Arizona at home where, you know, I know Arizona has struggled against good, uh, teams, but that's still probably a good win. Um, but at the end of the season, they beat Butler. Uh, they went to Texas Tech and beat them. They went to Kansas and beat them. And, you know, I, I don't like to use time differences and traveling and, and all that jazz as, as, a, as an excuse. But their only loss was a three-point loss against Washington in the first week of the season where they had to travel to Anchorage, Alaska, which is, you know, uh, what, four, three, four-hour flight? from Seattle and like an mm-hmm. eight, nine hour flight from, from Texas. So I think they're the best team in the country. Uh, I know people are going to point to Duke cause Duke has looked good outside of two really bad losses, bad losses. And, you know, people might point to Gonzaga because Gonzaga's looked good, but their, their defense, which is probably now a top 50 defense. They've, they've kind of put it together a little bit, um, but they have the best, Gonzaga probably has the best offense in the country. I just think Baylor all around has the toughest team in the country. And, and they might not be my pick. And I don't want to make a pick right now to win the national championship just simply right. because I don't know what teams are going to look like in two months. I mean, a month ago, Ohio State looked like a Final Four contender. Now they look like they might lose in the first round. Seriously. Um, so... You know, outside of that loss, Baylor's looked like the best team in the country. And I don't know if you can make an argument that they shouldn't be the number one overall seed in the tournament if it were to start today. I agree. I I have them there. I think Kansas could still be in contention for a one seed. I probably still have them in the top five in the country, maybe top six. Texas Tech kind of hanging around the top 25 not um haven't made that leap that i think we were kind of all expecting a chris beard team to make about this point in the season um lost the game to baylor lost to kansas and lost to west virginia a west virginia team that is really surging um they made my top 10 this past week um they're a team that is looking really good and kind of I don't want to say peaking at the right time, but playing their best basketball right now and only seem to be getting better. Yeah. No, I, I would definitely agree. I, I I said the other day, I think West Virginia has the has returned to having probably the toughest defense to deal with in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, they don't necessarily, you know, they have that loss to St. John's, um, but that was, that was not a, well, I mean, it's a two-point loss. They lost at Kansas, but Allen Fieldhouse is the toughest place to play. Yeah, no one's uh, going to hold that against them. They have win a win over Wichita State, where they held Wichita State to 63. Uh, they have that win over Ohio State, where they held them to under 60, which Ohio State hasn't been looking good. But at the time, you you know they were arguably the number one team in the country. Um and they have not given up more than 60 points in Big 12 play yet. It's pretty good. So, and they've only given up more than 50 twice. They, they held Oklahoma State to 41 and, and TCU to 49. So, I mean, they're, they're, they are kind of along the same lines. Not, not necessarily as good on, on offense, Um but along the same lines as the way Texas Tech was kind of built last year, where they have just a really tough defense to deal with and an offense that's good enough to win games. Yeah, uh, the defense is certainly there. Um, 
I think Oscar Shibway and Derek Culver have kind of given them that identity down low. Uh, sort of, not a twin tower because neither of them are that tall, uh, but just a, a dual big man um, kind of lineup. The fact that they kill opponents down low has given them that at, fits in perfectly with that West Virginia identity, right? But I think the difference for them recently and why they've kind of made this surge has been the play of Miles McBride, uh, the freshman guard, giving them that sort of perimeter score. He scored double-figure points in, in seven straight games for them. A couple 20-point games against Texas Tech and, and Ohio State was their only real offense that they had against Kansas. Uh, he is somebody to me that looks like he's going to be a future star for them uh, and gives them a perimeter punch offensively that they haven't really had. I certainly didn't have last year. I think he, he might be more reliable – than Daxter Miles was kind of in that role. And I, I know Javon Carter was everything for West Virginia as a defensive stopper, but he had some some limitations to his offensive game. I, the only thing McBride has right now is just sort of the uncertainty that comes with being a freshman. Right. And if, if he continues this kind of – if he's able to, to stabilize this level of play and even take it a step further – West Virginia suddenly becomes extremely dangerous. Yeah. No, and and yeah, I, I think that the the only issue kind of you could argue facing uh Miles McBride is that he he tends to be their only kind of point guard. Um yeah. and he's their only he's their only reliable offensive option on the perimeter. Right. And so I don't know if he has the the maturity um, to be that kind of guy who can create his own shots on the perimeter. Cause that's kind of what he has to do. Yeah. Uh, and if they can get someone else to, to play off of him um, and they've played really well in that kind of inside out uh, with Derek Culver. But um, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if, if come tournament time, it's going to be too much pressure on McBride to to run that offense but uh right now i mean yeah like you said he is the best perimeter option i can remember west virginia having um in in the last what five six years yeah absolutely and we mentioned that one of wichita state that keeps looking better and better with the way wichita state's playing they're up to number 16 in the country right in in that top 15 or right around that top 15 i have them uh, in my top 15, but they're stiffing right around there. Uh, they only have one loss, that West Virginia loss. Other than that, Greg Marshall's team is back to playing really good defense, a balanced offensive attack, out-tough you kind of a game, and it's worked for them. And right now, they're uh, with the win over Memphis they got a couple weeks ago, they're the class in the American right now. Yeah. No, and there have been some really good coaching jobs um this season i mean scott drew at at baylor um you could go with laval jordan at butler Mm -hmm. um but anthony granted dayton yeah but i think with wichita state they were a team we kind of knew was going to be a decent team simply because of their coach uh, and mm-hmm. the talent that they were that they had, you know, the younger talent that they had, uh, but I they've exceeded my expectations, and I don't think Greg Marshall gets enough of the attention for helping put this young team together in a winning way so quickly um, that the other p- coaches that we just named do, and that's kind of unfortunate, and and it, and it has to do, I mean. Mark Few doesn't really get the same amount of attention for that those jobs anymore. Coach right. K doesn't get the same amount of attention for doing that anymore. But you look at Tony Bennett, and and he hasn't been able to put together a winning team, uh, really, uh, even though he has talent. So, you know, Wichita State, I think, is it's not necessarily the most surprising team in the country because I think that belongs to Butler. Um, or Virginia Tech, but it's up there with one of those teams that people aren't talking enough about 
how well they've performed to expectations. No, and I think they're go- they're going to. They're a team that plays incredibly consistent as well. They don't have a lead score really. Uh, it, it's a very balanced offensive attack. I think there's like six guys that average at least nine a game, uh, and another two that average over six. So you got eight guys that can kind of beat you. That would be the one thing that in tournament situation, kind of who do you go to? And they're still figuring that out. I think they want Dexter Dennis to be that guy, but he's just been too inconsistent this year. Um, but keep in mind, this is a team, too, that's pretty much all freshmen and sophomores in their rotation. Um, and so this is a group that could be back together again next year right. and potentially be that top a top 15, top 10 team in the preseason again. But they have the makings of a team that could, that could win a couple games in March this year. Mm-hmm. Memphis could as well. Uh, obviously, playing okay without James Wiseman. Precious Achua has stepped up and, and become, I think, a force for them. Houston's playing at a pretty high level. The American race uh, could end up being one of the kind of more under-the-radar entertaining races this year, I, I, I think at least. Yeah, because you also have teams like Cincinnati um, and Tulsa that – have the capabilities not necessarily to win or to make the tournament. I don't, I don't trust a Frank Haith team, but to throw a wrench <laughs> in one or two games where, you know, Memphis or Houston or, or, or Wichita state goes into that game, um, expecting to win. And especially Cincinnati. Um, Oh yeah. They have the, they have the ability to really, kind of give those top three teams some trouble. Um, I don't think Cincinnati's a great team or a tournament team, but they do have that capability to to mess things up uh, at, the, at the top of the conference. Yeah. South Florida, I think, is in that mix, too, of a team that has experience and a little bit of talent that could, you know, pull off an upset or two and throw a monkey wrench in their race in the top three. But I do think there's a clear-cut top three there. Right. The, the same could be said in the in the A10. Uh, I think there's a, a clear top two, though, with Dayton and VCU, and they played this week. And Dayton, I think, solidified their place among the country's best teams by absolutely blowing the doors off of VCU. Yeah, no, Day, Dayton. And, and I think the, people gave them – they knocked them a little bit too much for the loss to Kansas. Um and then they really knocked them for that loss to Colorado. And I don't think that they've quite recovered um, from that in terms of the public opinion on how good they can be. And now they're in a situation kind of like Gonzaga is every year where they are a really good team. They have a win over St. Mary's, but no one's going to give St. Mary's any credit. They have a win over Virginia Tech, but no one's going to give them credit for that. Or they win over Georgia. Um, they're going to look at those two losses, say they can't beat a top 25 team. They're going to look at them going possibly undefeated through the A-10 and say, oh, well, they didn't really play anyone because the A-10 is down. And then they're going to get into the tournament and make the Sweet 16. And it's... You've seen this movie before, I think. I've seen this movie for the past five years. So, um, but, I mean, Obi Toppin is is one of the ten best players in college basketball. And I don't think... one of the five best. I would argue top five, but for the purposes of, of cons- conserv- being conservative, he's, he's I got top ten lock, no problem. Um, he's going to be a first or second team All-American. And, you know, outside of the game against Kansas, um, where, you know, being able to move Azabuki is just almost impossible uh, for college athletes to do, um, I, I think that he's going to possibly if he hasn't already become kind of that in that lottery pick conversation. Absolutely. And only a couple weeks ago, the A-10 looked like they were going to be in position to take advantage of the down year. A lot of these power conferences were having uh, with the rise of Dayton, with how good VCU was playing teams like Rhode Island and Duquesne had come up and, uh, and Richmond were really looking like they had non-conference resumes that if they put together solid conference records, 
could get in that large spot. And now uh, Dayton's the only team that would really be considered a lock. Uh, I, I think VCU has sort of drifted off. Rhode Island and Duquesne have uh, Duquesne still sitting there at 15 and two, but without a, a real top end quality win, uh, Rhode Island is, is up and down. Richmond has been up and down of late. How do you see the A-10 fitting into just sort of the national picture conference wise when it comes to the amount of teams they may send to the tournament? I think they get two um, for sure. I think that VCU sneaks in there and, and Dayton, um will will be a lock um i think the team i'm well i do think Duquesne and richmond could possibly be better than rhode island i think the team that right now is sitting and looking like they have the best argument for an at-large bid is rhode island uh they have that they have wins over albeit mediocre Al, an alabama team and I mean, Providence is bad, but they, they beat Providence. Um, yep. And they have that win at VCU. And they don't really, outside of Brown, have a bad loss. So I think right now Rhode Island is probably in the best spot to make the tournament. Uh, but I, I would still say two is probably the right number. I think I may agree with you. It, it kind of depends on how VCU finishes up the year because I think they probably have the best non-conference resume of anybody in that conference outside of Dayton. Um, And if they kind of get back to to the way they were playing last month, I think they'll be fine and kind of in no matter what. But it's certainly a reason for concern. And there's reason for concern on the West Coast, too, with the two major, I won't say non-power conferences, because they're not necessarily mid-majors, really, um, out on the West Coast in the Mountain West and the West Coast Conference. We talked before the season about both potentially being one bid leagues with Utah State coming out of the Mountain West and then Gonzaga, of course, coming out of the West Coast. St. Mary's and BYU have made things interesting in the WCC. San Diego State is obviously running away with kind of the Mountain West right now as Utah State kind of fades back. Do you still see both of those as one bid leagues or could some of those teams like Utah State or St. Mary's or BYU come in there and claim a, a second bid? I th- I actually think that there's an outside path to a three-bid WCC. Uh, I don't think it happens, but if BYU can survive the next two weeks without Yoli Childs, um, and they, they'll probably beat San Diego. I don't think they can. San Diego's even remotely close to them in terms of talent, even without Childs. They'll go to Gonzaga. I think they lose that game, uh, but that was a game that they probably would have lost anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, then I think they need him back because um, then they go to Pacific, uh, who beat St. Mary's at home, and to San Francisco, which is probably talent-wise the fourth-best team in the conference. Um, and... And if they lose one of those two games uh, with that loss at St. Mary's, I think they probably need to win two or three games against the combination of Gonzaga and St. Mary's um, between the regular season and the postseason to make the tournament. Uh, But if they can survive those games, then you're looking at a team that's going to go in to the, the tournament with Yoli Childs, most likely, whose losses will probably only be to whose losses with Yoli Childs will probably be the first day he got back when they went to Utah and lost. And then St. Mary's and Gonzaga, um, without, without Yoli Childs, they, they do have losses to San Diego state, Boise state and Kansas, but, uh, they, they have a win over Houston. They have a win over Virginia tech. They beat Nevada. They beat Utah state. So if they can survive the next two weeks without Yoli Childs and only lost and only a loss to Gonzaga, and then go the rest of the season and only lose to either Gonzaga or St. Mary's and pick up at least one win against one of those two, I think they're in. Um, as for St. Mary's, it's a little bit tougher because mm-hmm. they beat Utah State like BYU, but Utah State's 
tailing off. They beat Wisconsin, who's coming up big. So I think that I think Wisconsin's helping St. Mary's right now. Absolutely. Um, and their issue, though, is they have a loss at home to Winthrop, a loss at home to Santa Clara, and then a loss at Pacific, which Santa Clara, I think, now is considered a top 100 team in the net. I, I haven't checked today, but they were a couple days ago. Um, but none of none of those three losses are going to be looked at in a, in a good light for St. Mary's. So for them, I think they have to probably pick up one, at least one more win against Gonzaga or BYU to get in and not lose to any more uh, bottom six WCC teams. Talked about Utah State a few times in there. They've been really disappointing this year and are probably on the outside looking in of the NCAA tournament field. Do you feel like they get in, or is the Mountain West essentially right now just San Diego State and whoever else may win the conference tournament if it's not the Aztecs? I think it's looking more like San Diego State and whoever wins the tournament if it's not the Aztecs. Um, Look, going into the Mountain West play, uh, they really, outside of LSU, didn't beat anybody. That, that Florida win isn't looking too hot right now. South Florida is an okay win, but it's not fantastic. Um, and there are two opportunities, really, to pick up the, a, an additional, a second real bubble win uh, were both losses um, to St. Mary's and BYU. And then they got into Mountain West play and dropped three in a row Mm -hmm. uh, at UNLV and at Air Force. And then they lost at home to San Diego State. And I really thought they had to beat San Diego State at home to put together a resume that looked like a uh, NCAA tournament resume. And the loss to San Diego State, as well as the two other schools, I I don't think that right now they, they even have the schedule remaining uh, to put together an NCAA tournament resume. I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair. I uh, we've we've gone through what probably the top nine conferences in the country, top ten conferences in the country so far, and in all of them but the Big Ten, we've talked about them getting less bids than we thought at the beginning of the season. Right? Which means that some, some conferences are going to get probably a decent number of bids simply because no other conferences want them. That, or a team that's in another conference, uh, say Harvard, if they lose in the tournament to like a Yale, or mm-hmm. um, maybe... Maybe we get, maybe uh, we get a two-bid SoCon. Maybe we get East Tennessee State and UNC Greensboro. Yeah, or possibly Northern Iowa, if a team like uh, Loyola mm-hmm. or Bradley wins the Missouri Valley tournament. Um, but... I think we've spoken about this before. Talent in college basketball is kind of down across the board. Oh, yeah. um, there are, if you look at Kemp, if you're going by Kempom in terms of which teams are better than others, it's going to be, I think the third or fourth year looking like right now, it's going to be the third or fourth year where you don't have a team that has a plus 30 uh, efficiency margin. And, there's only two that have above the top uh, plus 25 in Kansas and Duke. Um, so I think talent at the top is down talent in the middle is probably up a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Not enough to really make it seem like there's a ton of talent, but enough to, to really look like these teams that would probably be tournament teams are going to have some losses that seem bad just because people don't realize that teams like Pacific and Santa Clara and San Francisco in the West Coast Conference or teams like Clemson and Pitt and uh, Boston Virginia College. Tech. Virginia, well, Virginia Tech, I think, is a tournament team, but teams that aren't tournament teams right. have the capabilities to beat teams that are um, on any given night pretty much. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why it's been such such a wacky year. Um, this weekend we got we have a full slate of games on Saturday, not as much on Sunday with the with the NFL uh, conference championship games going on. Um, but college football is over, so we're we're ramping up on the basketball side of things in the NCAA. 
before we close out, Connor, I need your bold prediction for the week. I I, I hate these bold. Um, <laughs> I hate because it it's it's like I, if you told me you know a couple weeks ago a bold prediction might be. Wisconsin beats Michigan State. I don't think Wisconsin beats Michigan State, but that that would have been bold a couple weeks ago. I don't think it's as bold now. Um, no, but we've we've been to pat ourselves on the back. We've been good in our bold predictions the past couple weeks. Yeah, I'll go ahead and give you yeah, mine. Give me yours. I, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to say because it's there's not enough of like a disparity in terms of of talent in, in a lot of these games to really call one team or another a bold prediction, but go ahead. I'm looking, I'm looking at the biggest game of the weekend, Louisville playing Duke at Cameron coming out of that game. I think people are going to talk about Cassius Stanley being the best player on Duke's team. And I know last week we talked about Vernon Carey being the front runner of the national player of the year race. Trey Jones is fantastic, but Cassius Stanley, um, is a freak. He's going to throw down a couple dunks in that game that are going to blow some people away. I think he can really limit Jordan Nora on the other end as well. Um, He's kind of, Stanley's more, one of the more underrated defenders on that Duke team and really in the country. I think people come out of that game talking about him as a first round pick for the first time, really since the season started and as being potentially the best player on Duke's team. Okay. So that's my bold prediction. Okay. Mine will be only result that I think, the only thing I think that's going to happen this week um, is I think Arizona is going to play themselves out of the tournament, uh, at least for now. I think they lose to Utah and then they lose to Colorado. So I'm going to say Butler beats DePaul and loses to Villanova, but I do think that Arizona is going to be on the outside, clearly on the outside looking in after this week. Okay, we'll mark it down. Arizona is going to stink, and Cassius Stanley is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) We'll revisit that next week. Right now, I'm Brian Ralph, my co-host Connor Hope. Thank you for listening to the Busting Brackets podcast. I'll talk to you guys next time.